0: Listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast, sex and relationship advice you can use tonight.
1: Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast, brought to you by our friends at Desire Resorts and Cruises. I'm Brandon Ware, your unofficial sexologist.
2: And I'm Jess O'Reilly, a soon to be retired sexologist.
1: Oh, that sounds amazing. I got to say, love what we do, have a lot of fun, but the idea of kicking back and traveling the world for 6 months sounds pretty amazing right now.
2: So it's a 6-month retirement? It's
1: a 6 months. It's just it's it's a sabbatical. I think That's all.
2: I think we'll go on a sabbatical in the next few years. We go pretty hard. We do. Actually, I'm letting out a big exhale this week because I handed in a book transcript on Monday. I filmed an entire video course yesterday, so I'll have a new book coming out next year, co-authored by the fabulous Marla Renee Stewart, and our book is called The Ultimate Guide to Seduction and Foreplay, and yes, foreplay counts as sex, and is really about all things sexual. It's really not just seduction and foreplay, and Marla is getting married this weekend in Atlanta, so shout out to Marla and her partner esther i'm heading down in the morning for her wedding
1: i'm not going but i want you to tell us a bit more about the theme of their wedding because it's pretty unique
2: yeah i'm pretty excited first of all i can't wait to see marla's dress because i've heard it's going to be red and because it's marla it's going to be fabulous (laughs) uh and i've been told as a guest that we are to wear bold colors with a military sexy theme
1: why didn't we do this for our wedding?
2: I don't know, because I didn't want to see you in like military military boy shorts.
1: <laughs> I look back at the photos of our wedding and it was one of the best days of my life. But my attire is very different than what I rock today.
2: Yeah, you wore a white suit that wasn't skin tight like the clothes you wear today. You <laughs> wear such tight clothing.
1: Let's just say it's form fitted. All right.
2: Okay, let's talk right now. Whose t-shirt is tighter, yours or mine? Okay,
1: not a fair comment. We're at home. We're working out of our office, our studio. And I was out. I was running around. So
2: At a latex convention?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. My jeans have stretch in them, man. Leave me alone.
2: Yeah, anyhow. They're
1: a little short too.
2: So Marla and Esther, shout out to them. Big congrats coming up for this weekend. I don't know what to wear because we've been told to wear bright red, bold blue, or yellow, and make sure it's military sexy. Now, as a Canadian, I'm not even sure what military sexy is. I, I however, have a number of neighbors who are quite into the circuit scene, right? These fun, late-night, mostly gay clubs. And I'm thinking that if I just knock on Neil's door, he will have many an outfit for me to choose from. And if Neil isn't available, there's another Neil.
1: <laughs> Neil and Brian,
2: and then I bet you they have something pretty cool too.
1: Yeah, I want to. I hope that it extends beyond just the attire. I would love to see photos of someone full decked out face paint, like camo face paint.
2: Oh, I never thought of that. That'd okay, awesome. I'm gonna have to do some Googling. I just have come off a very, very busy period since the beginning of the year, and we finished wrapping a shoot yesterday on a video course on overcoming premature premature ejaculation and lasting longer in bed. So this is with a partner of mine, Dr. Reese Malone. And so today's the first day I've been able to think about anything. I actually just booked my flight to Atlanta, even though I knew I needed to go to this wedding, or I I want to go to this wedding, obviously. So I'm going to do some Googling. If you have any ideas of what I should wear for military sexy theme, red, blue, yellow, send them my way. Just shoot them to me on Instagram. If I don't know you, the image will be blurred. So send me a note letting me know what it is. And of course, Instagram blurs messages from people we don't follow because there are a whole lot of dick pic harassers out there. So that's my plan for the weekend. Stay tuned for the Ultimate Guide to Seduction and foreplay. Stay Stay tuned for the Last Longer in Bed Overcome PE in Six Simple Steps video course. And we will move on to a topic that's really interesting to me. We're going to talk about open relationships, consensual non-monogamy, ambiamory, as well as polyamory. Joining us on the line is Kevin Patterson of Poly Role Models and author of Love's Not Colorblind and *Superhero* series for Hire. Thanks for being here, Kevin.
0: Hey, thank you so much for having me.
2: Now, I was reading on your blog that you've been happily married for 10 years, and I think that post was a few years old, so we'd love to get you to know you a little and tell us a little bit about your relationship.
0: Yeah, so that was a couple of years ago, so I'm happily married for 12 years. I've been with my wife uh, for 17, and right now, uh, my, the way my relationships work is I date how I feel like dating, and that's about as much restriction as I actually give.
2: All right. And does your wife have the same restrictions or or, or different parameters?
0: Um, she has the same parameters, uh, but she doesn't have the same amount of bandwidth as I have. So where my wife, she'll date however she feels like dating. That will be maybe two or three people outside of uh, our marriage. For me, I date how I feel like dating, and that's roughly everybody.
2: <laughs> Are we dating right now?
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure we have. We've been dating for at least six months. <laughs>
2: Oh, well, it was a pretty good breakup, right?
0: It was the best breakups. Almost (laughs) all of my breakups are the best breakups.
2: Well, let's talk about that. What makes for a good breakup? Because I think our culture universally sees breakups as as overwhelmingly negative or traumatic.
0: Yeah, I, I think what makes for a good breakup is just sort of recognizing what is and what isn't. There doesn't always have to be a villain. There doesn't always have to be somebody who did something wrong. It could just be a matter of incompatibility where I had a partner where um, I realized that our communication was getting a bit stilted. And I knew that she didn't have the sort of bandwidth to be what we had already been with one another. And one day she calls me up, one day she texts me and says, Hey, can I call you after work? And I'm like, Okay, well, here's the breakup. Because we never use our voices on our phones, we just text <laughs> each other. And after work, she calls me up. And I can hear her stumbling over her words and she's talking about logistics and bandwidth and that sort of thing. And I said, well, do you need me to break up with you? And she's like, well, um, yes. And I'm like, all right, cool. But I'm having this party next month. You're still gonna be there, right? She's like, yeah, of course. And that was a little over three years ago and we celebrated the three year anniversary of our breakup uh, when it came. Because when you see us together, we still look like a couple, we still love each other but we just couldn't manage a day-to-day commitment to each other like we had been. It just didn't work out. We just stopped doing the thing that didn't work and kept doing the thing that did work.
1: How long were you with that partner? How, how long was that relationship?
0: Um, less than six months.
1: And you felt, you said that you still love her and you still care for her. I mean, you felt that strongly about the six-month relationship that that would, that's how you express yourself?
0: She is one of the truest game changers I've ever had in any relationship. So, and as far as, as far as she says it, I'm the same for her. So we still care about each other a lot. We still love each other. We hung out um, just the other day, like last weekend, but we can't really manage a relationship in the way that we had it before. So now it's, we see each other when we see each other. It's awesome when we do, and we've maintained that commitment and that's it.
2: I'm curious uh, when you talk about love, if that love has even deepened post-breakup, which I think is something that is unfathomable to so many of us.
0: I think it probably has. If, if for no other reason, that love is deepened because we're safe enough knowing that we can be who uh, that we can accept each other as we are and where we're at, and sometimes that's not really the way relationships work sometimes a situation changes and it changes the dynamics so much that you've got to be apart from one another with us we just saw the writing on the wall and instead of letting it turn into a resentment we just cut out you know we we cut the parts out that didn't work
2: i like that and you kept what worked now if we go back to polyamory Because you maintain a blog, Poly Role Models. If people aren't familiar with the term polyamorous, how do you define it? Because you talked about your own relationship, and that's one version of polyamory. Yeah. But more broadly speaking, how would you define polyamory?
0: Uh, I I define polyamory really simply as the willingness, the desire, the capacity to be in multiple loving romantic relationships with the uh, knowledge and consent of everybody involved. And, like, my polyamory is widespread. It's a wild maelstrom of moving parts, and it's, like, really sexual, whereas other people, their polyamory isn't really sexual at all. And that's that's fine. That's valid. I've got a capacity to date a lot of people. Some people are like, well, I've got these two partners, and that's it, and that's all it'll ever be. And that's fine, and that's valid as well. So, I I think there. I I think there. I don't know if there's any wrong ways to structure your polyamory. There are unethical ways. There are ways that does that don't really work for everybody. But I wouldn't say that they're inherently wrong. Everybody's got to do it their own way and customize it in the way that makes sense to them.
2: And when you when we talk about unethical polyamory, what does that look like? Because I'm, you know, we have this assumption that if you're polyamorous, you're talking, everything's with consent, you're working with these ethical boundaries. But of course, because there are human people (laughs) in polyamorous relationships, that ideal is not something that every relationship lives up to.
0: Yeah. And, and you called it like, not everything is as consent-based. Not everything is, uh, is above board where, um, like I don't, I don't keep, um, I don't keep A running tally of how many people I'm with and if I start dating someone else I don't I don't contact every single person that I'm dating and say by the way there is like there's one more person that I'm dating but everybody knows that about me everyone knows and they've all checked in and agreed to that whereas there are people who are doing the same thing I'm doing but they're dishonest about it you know there are people who place their partners in hierarchies in ways that um that, uh, that folks don't always agree to. Like something, like polyamorous representation, something that pops up all the time are these uh, triads where it's a, an established couple bringing in a third party. And that all sounds really entry level, that all sounds really basic kind of polyamory. But, we, but it ends up being one of the harder uh, structures to maintain, one of the harder structures to achieve because that third person that you're adding to a relationship they don't get a say in the rules of that relationship. They don't get a say in the structure of that relationship. And that's, that, you know, plays out as, in, um, as unethical. Like, is it unethical for a couple to, sh- to, to share a partner? No, but it is unethical for a couple to make rules that apply to somebody who doesn't have a hand in writing them, you know?
2: Interesting. And there must be power dynamics that come into play in a setup like that, because I think that is that is a common one. That's, that's a setup that we often see depicted in oh, television and yeah. movies. There's a show, uh, You, Me, Her on yep. Netflix, and I haven't followed it to see how it's depicted as the seasons unfolded. But there is the challenge of one or two people, I suppose, having the power because they have a long established relationship. And I wonder if age and finance uh, and and gender also come into play there. Is that something you've observed?
0: Yes. Uh, A a lot of those relationships are like these unicorn hunter relationships, they call them, where they're looking for the stereotypical single hot buy babe. And part of that is if you've got a single unattached person uh, there, you can sort of Lord over their singleness, Lord over their unattachedness, you know, they're not going to get pulled away to do other things by other people.
2: So if you are a couple and you are interested in opening up your relationship and you want to start with one person, which might seem most manageable and logical, how do you ensure that you do that in a more ethical way?
0: Date separately. I mean, point blank, date date separately. And I, I know that sounds counterintuitive, but, The pressure to the pressure for someone to fall in love with two people, two different people, equally and simultaneously, that's Mm -hmm. too much. That's too much to put on somebody. Where there's somebody who, you know, I'd like, you know, if like let's say, let's say I am the single hot pie babe. I might be into the husband a little bit more than I'm into the wife, and then and then it looks like an imbalance, and then all of a sudden, you know, instead of being in a loving relationship, I am you know, I'm a jilted person on a Facebook forum getting really angry at the next couple who's looking for the stereotypical hot buy babe.
2: Right. It's interesting when you say stereotypical hot bi babe, because of our heteronormative notions of sex and because of porn's representation of threesomes, I think yeah. most people think about a woman and a woman who, of course, is expected to be a compulsory bisexual. Yep do you, and and in the swing communities we'll see the the gender imbalance here and the way that power plays out and i've spoken about that on the podcast in the past in polyamorous communities do you run into similar issues around gender and and uh, i guess expressions of male sexuality is there an expectation that that it should be the women who are bi is there more openness to people of all genders being bi
0: it's it's we're working hard against that I mean it's still there and I remember reading reading some like old posts and older books about polyamory and uh, and um the prevailing thought used to be if you are a single bi woman and you want to be treated uh, properly in a relationship in a polyamorous relationship you should be part of an established couple and bring in a third party you shouldn't expect if you were if you were if you were the quote-unquote third you shouldn't expect that and as social media ramps up as as uh, as the world gets smaller by way of like digital connectivity people are talking about that more so all of a sudden we see more we see more by guys we see more couples seeking by guys we see more people who are challenging the power dynamics involved whereas before it was just that was just what polyamory was like there are people who won't even call themselves polyamorous for fear of the stigma that they are part of an established couple seeking the, the hot bye babe, But these are the conversations we're having. We're exposing, we're exposing these imbalances. We're exposing these things that are, that are sort of like the dirty underbelly of ethical non-monogamy. And the
1: more you expose it, the more it changes. So speaking of stigmas, how do you handle or how did you deal with the social element of polyamory? Because I think that it's something that Uh, you know other people may look at in monogamous relationships and and would they do they judge you do you feel like they're judging you how do your friends respond I mean do they know about your your approach to relationships I mean there's so many questions that could evolve from here but how do you handle the um
0: well my 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 friends were my friends uh when when I first opened up uh, my, my wife and I, we opened up together. So like our poly origin story is the same story and they sort of saw the progression of the two of us just sort of testing out what non-monogamy could be to me being a guy who writes a bunch of books and my wife being someone who like, who, uh, who's a, a, a star of the kink community. So like they've been here for, for the whole thing. They're, they're fine with it. Uh, like, we end up being sort of the de facto relationship coaches of our friend groups, at least among our monogamous friends, because our monogamous friends, they're already full up on monogamy based advice. There's no, shortage of books about, um, there's no shortage of books about monogamy. There's no shortage of modeling by way of parents and Disney movies and pop culture in general. So they know what they're going to get when they say like, hey, I'm having a problem with my girlfriend. They know what they're going to get from everybody else in their lives. They know they're going to get what could be an unconventional answer when they speak to me or my wife or like basically anyone in our polyamory circles. Because a lot of times the conversation is, but did you talk to her about it?
2: (laughs) No, I'm talking to you.
0: Yeah, you know. (laughs)
2: <laughs> you know, uh, Brandon asked about stigma and you face a different challenge and stigma as a black man who's polyamorous. So do you, do you find you get tokenized? Do you have to deal with fetishization or do people demand that you speak for all black men or all black people? Because I, I can't imagine that there, there are a ton of black men in many of the poly rooms you walk into.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's a it's a lot it's a lot better now than it was before. But that took a lot of work. Like when I entered into uh, our local polyamory community, this was maybe 2014 2015 I was the token black guy for what felt like two years, and it was like me and like one other black guy. Like the first time I went to a, any polyamory event in my local community, there were maybe five. There were like seven people of color there, three of whom never came back. And three of whom never came back to any polyamory community events, as far as I know. One who left and didn't come back until I started hosting events, and two who came in my car.
2: <laughs>
0: you know.
1: Can I ask what a polyamory event is?
0: I mean, it was just a, a it was a, a local a local happy hour. It was just a happy hour um, that the the organizers of, of from our local polyamory community set up and said like, hey, it's a, it's a meet and greet. It's a mixer.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The point is polyamorous people are doing what non-polyamorous people well, are I mean, doing, mowing their lawns, going for drinks.
1: I was just wondering what that might be because I think when we talk about or when you mention it, I just wonder like, is that a party? Is that, you know, I mean, Um, it's it's like, like you said,
0: yeah, it's, it's, and it's it's like just said, like, it's, it's what everybody does, but polyamorous. So like, there'll be a, a, there'll be a day where someone references a movie to me and I'm like, you know what? I want to watch that movie. In (laughs) fact, I want to watch three, three movies by the same director. And I'm going to invite my polyamory community. And then it's just a hangout. It's just a potluck. But then, you know, maybe a relationship will start. Like almost every time that I've hosted a party at my home, some relationship has started at that party
2: oh kevin i see a television show here you are the poly <laughs> matchmaker they're always pitching me the funniest tv shows but that would be a good one the yeah, poly matchmaker
0: oh uh, i wish i could take credit for it all uh, all i'm doing is trying to watch movies talk shit with my friends and maybe get laid by the end of the night
2: <laughs> just good good food good movies now i want to talk about identity versus behavior yeah do you see being polyamorous as something you opt into a set of preferences or behaviors or is, or is it something that defines you something that you are part of your personal and sexual identity like an orientation
0: I think that's something that every person has to decide on their own like I think it I think it would be too limiting to say it, it has to be one or the other. Mm-hmm. And I know I struggle with what what the answer is, even for myself, where I spent a long time just saying, this is a behavior. This is something I'm doing. I could turn it off anytime I want. But the longer I stayed in communities, the longer I stayed open, the more people that I I met, the less sense returning to monogamy made Mm -hmm. for me. And then I'd go back and think about times during my monogamous history where I had conversations about conversations that lean towards... A predilection for non-monogamy that i that i wouldn't have recognized until well after the fact so like, i don't know whether or not it is a behavior or an orientation for me i just know that one way or the other i can't go back but there are so many people who are like well this is what my life has looked like for so long but if i wanted to be monogamous i could
2: yeah the reason i ask is i often run into couples And one partner will say, I am monogamous, monogamy is the way for me. And another partner will say, well, I think I want to be consensually non-monogamous and you wish you could go back in time and take them to the beginning so they could actually have that discussion, but they're nine years in, 15 years in, maybe a couple of kids in, a dog in, a cat in, a house in. And so trying to navigate, navigate that space between one person who wants one thing and another who either wants something else or feels that it's a core part of their identity Often leaves us at an impasse. Do you, um, do you see that among your friends, among your colleagues, your peers?
0: Um, yeah, just I don't see I I I don't see how anyone can just make make the choice and and it stay static. Like for me, if you would ask me about if you would ask me twenty years ago about about non monogamy versus monogamy, the answer would have been completely different than it is now. And it's it's really difficult to to kind of nail it down. I actually had a conversation about this uh, last month with uh, Dr. Liz Powell, the uh, author of Building Open Relationships.
2: Yeah, she's been on the podcast.
0: Yeah, Liz is fantastic. But like, we had a conversation. And I said, like, if you could take the best parts of every one of your partners and put them into a single person, would you be monogamous with that person? And they said, no, because I I, I can't imagine, like, I need variety. And really, that's the answer for me as well. Like, if I could take the best parts of all of my partners, I'd want to separate them still into like three or four different people.
2: Right, it's like a really good hamburger and a really good pie and a really great pizza. I don't want to squish them all together into a dish.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I really wish you hadn't put that thought in my head. Now, <laughs>
2: <laughs> actually, it might taste kind of good. Now, yeah, I do want to talk <laughs> a little bit about ambiamory. So, I was recently talking with a number of folks who identify as ambiamorous, meaning that they are open to and enjoy being part of both monogamous and polyamorous relationships. So at different points in their lives, they've had monogamous relationships, they've had polyamorous relationships. Sometimes it's a matter of living situation. One of them moved far, far away from all of her partners and where she was, it wasn't easy to connect with new people. Um, other times it's situational. They have, you know, maybe one partner and they've broken up with the others and they don't have the time or the bandwidth to start new relationships. Is ambiamory something that comes up with the within the polyamory community, and how how is it viewed?
0: Now, I've heard yeah, I've I've heard people describe it before, like over the course of the last few years, I've heard people describe that before, and my thought is always okay, well at least you know what's good for you, and only recently have I heard this term ambiamory. ambiamory. And I'm glad there's a term like my first thought was like, do we really need another word for this? But (laughs) but then I realized there are people who want to be able to talk about their experiences with a shorthand that that people can just understand. And I and I know I was the same way with the term megasexual. So, like, I'm glad they have a term where they can like to have a shorthand they have a term they have a, they they can you know create a culture and a language around that so that they can easily identify one another and be able to seek fellowship and resources in that regard so yeah i'm i'm glad it's a thing i'm glad it's a thing that actually has a term now but it's something that i've heard people describe a lot over the course of like several years just now with an with an actual term
1: can you can you tell me about megasexual please
0: Um, the way, and this, this is a term that was, uh, defined by Dr. Liz Powell and uh, Rebecca Hiles, who, uh, who wrote the book, it's called polyamory coming out about your non-monogamous relationships and the way they describe it. And the way that I've, I've taken it to mean is I can't form, or I don't form like strong romantic connections unless there's a sexual component, unless there's a sexual chemistry already, already there bex Beck caputo from the dildorks podcast said it best on an episode of the of the dildorks mm-hmm. um where bex was describing going out on a date and the person that went out on the date with was like well we don't have to hook up right now we can hook up some other time to which bex said like no sex but how am i going to know if i like them
2: <laughs> and i kind of
0: yeah and i kind of feel i kind of feel the same way like that was that's how that's how i relate in my relationships
2: Megasexual. Very interesting. So I'm sure there are many people who are megasexual listening who have never been able to put a word. Identify. Right. To, to the way they feel.
1: Yeah. Now, are you willing to share the moment in 2002, that, that brief awkward moment of non-monogamy that strengthened your current uh, relationship with your partner? You made reference to it on your blog and I was like, are you willing to share what that was?
0: Um, boy, there, there are so many awkward moments. Um, give, give me a hint and I'll, and I'll run with it.
2: So you wrote, in 2002, a few months after meeting the woman I would marry, we stumbled into a brief moment of non-monogamy. Believing yes. my own ignorance, I expect everything to turn awkward and unstable. Instead, it strengthened the bond. Soon after, we started having lengthy and repeated discussions about how important exclusivity was to our relationship. And as it turned out, it's not very important.
0: Yeah, so um, you're in Toronto, so um, you know Carabana.
2: Been there, yep.
0: yeah. And like there, there was it was a, a yearly trip that me and the homies would take. You know, we we pile a bunch of dudes into a into a minivan, go up to Carabana and party for the weekend. One year, they're just like most of my friends who I'd go with, they weren't available. So it's me and my one homeboy. He invites his girlfriend. I invite my girlfriend. My girlfriend invites her girlfriend, her, her friend that is a girl uh, or that is a woman. And so the five of us go up there and like about a week before the trip, I just sort of joked around about it. And I'm like, well, it's a lot of sexually active young people on this trip, lots of drinking and smoking and partying, you know, something crazy might pop off. And my, my then girlfriend, now wife, took it more seriously than I did. Like a lot of my best ideas are me joking around and someone else just saying, But maybe though, right? (laughs) So next thing you know, we're in Toronto, we're enjoying Carabana, and me and my wife and her friend are rolling around. And I told myself, I don't care what happens here. This is a thing that never happens to regular folks like me. Like the idea of a threesome, I don't care if it breaks this relationship. I don't care if they both hate me afterwards. I've got to shoot this shot. (laughs) <laughs> you know, stereotypical cis male fantasy. Even though I don't currently identify as het, het was where I was at the de- in the day.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But I thought it would get weird. I thought it would break the relationship, and it ended up not doing either of those things. Instead, we like I like I like you like you said that I said <laughs> uh, we, we ended up having conversations about exclusivity and what we needed out, out of our relationship after the fact. And I had a a sort of on and off dating relationship with that friend for, for a number of years. And then eventually my wife started dating other guys as well. And that ended up being sort of a, a teachable moment because as a guy socialized and, you know, as a, as a socialized American male, I thought I was supposed to fight somebody. You know, my my wife started dating another guy. I thought like, you know, I got to kill this guy. I've got to hate this guy. I don't know how I'm going to react to this. There's got to be a jealousy involved. There's got to be the throwing of chairs and like the punching of walls. But when she went out with her first non-Kevin guy, (laughs) I asked her for every one of the details. I was like, it's always going to be the wildest porno ever in my head if I don't ask her. So she gave me all the details. She told me about the guy. She told me about the date. She told me about the sex. And the only thought the only natural thought I could come up with was I'm glad she's home. I'm glad she had fun. And that was it. So now I had to question everything I'd ever been socialized to believe about about my about maleness and manhood and you know possessiveness over over the women in my life the women in my life, you know? I had to like throw a lot, I had to unlearn a lot of toxic bullshit.
2: And if you look at some folks in the polyamory community, especially if you kind of look more old school, some of that toxic masculinity still exists. Yeah. And so now you're, you're tasked with breaking it down. And I always want to go back to, you know, elitism in any community. And I know that there of course is some elitism that exists in, in monogamy, of course, monogamous people believe that they're they're the elite but I think in the poly communities sometimes there is an elitism in the belief that certain types of relationships are more evolved certain types of relationships are more desirable is that something you run into and how how are you breaking that down
0: yeah and and it, I definitely run into that a lot. I, I do it ironically. I do it jokingly. Like, uh, I joke around about some of the things that people pass off as monogamous. Like, a lot of the possessiveness, a lot of the toxic behavior that people pass off as just being standard monogamy, I, I laugh and joke at. But the fact of the matter is, we all have things that we can learn from one another. Like, there's things that make monogamy work that polyamorous people can learn and learn and get a lot out of and and vice versa so when i run into when i run into like people who are not doing that ironically people who are just like well i'm polyamorous and you know you know flip their hair and uh flip their hair and 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 believe themselves to be like the superior beings i call it out i call it out i question it like i point to i point to our flaws as easily as i point to to our high points you know I mean, part of, part of poly role models is spotlighting some of our mistakes, spotlighting our flaws, spotlighting the things we do wrong so that people know that we do things wrong, so that we don't have to deal with the whole respectability politics of pretending that our relationships are always happy and healthy. Sometimes they're toxic. Sometimes they're fucked up. And that's okay, too. Not like okay in the individual sense, but it's okay that, it's okay that polyamory can also produce flawed behavior. And, you know, it's, humans are involved. Like, it's never going to be perfect.
2: Right. And I think that's important to talk about the flaws. Otherwise, you'll find that monogamous people will look for those toxic relationships and say, oh, look, no, polyamory can't work because of this specific incident. Yeah. Uh, And, of course, you know, we point back to monogamy and say, hey, you ever seen an unhealthy monogamous relationship? You ever seen a monogamous relationship break down? So, like going back to the high points, just to close it out, if there's something that monogamous folks or people who are somewhere in, you know, the monogamish territory, where which is where I think a lot of our listeners are, okay. if, if there's something we can take from polyamory, something that we might be missing, what would you want us to, to leave with and maybe put in our toolbox?
0: Emotional literacy is so important. Emotional literacy is so important. Like it's not it's not important to polyamory. It's important to life, but it's it's something you have to focus on in polyamory, and it's so easy to get jealous and to point and say, "Well, this thing that you do makes me jealous. Don't do this thing." (laughs) Whereas in polyamory, the focus is supposed to be more like, "This thing that you do makes me jealous." let me learn why that is. Let me figure out why I feel this way based on this thing that you're doing. And how much, of, how much of my fear, how much of my insecurity around that is real? How much of it is just in my head? And what can we do to mitigate that without me controlling your behavior?
2: I love the way you put that, this turning back to yourself when you experience an emotion as opposed to only looking for external sources. And regardless of your relationship arrangement, that's important for every single emotion. Uh, I would love to have you back again because you talked about how you responded to your wife's first date and how you asked about the info. And I think people could really benefit from how to navigate those early days of dating if you are opening up your relationship. So we'd we'd love to have you back to talk about that. But this has been really great. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Yeah, I thought it was excellent.
2: Yeah. Hey,
0: thank you so much.
2: Kevin, where can people find you? And you've written several books. Tell us where to look for you.
0: Um, I've been, uh, I'm probably models on everything. Um, the blog itself, the interview series, I'm actually ramping it way, way down right now. But, uh, what I have been working on is I've been writing a lot of books, uh, Right now out available is Love's Not Colorblind, Race and Representation in Polyamorous and Other Alternative Communities. That's me discussing the way race intersects with polyamory. And also For Hire, Operator, which is the first book in the For Hire series. And that's a queer, polyamorous, POC-centered superhero book where those identities are represented, but like, it's a superhero book. And it's about superhero things and a superhero universe book we wanted to make sure that we we focused um that we represented these identities even though the stories aren't necessarily based on those.
2: Love it. And does that have pictures?
0: Uh no, it's a, it's not a graphic novel. It's a it's <laughs> it's an all the all the words novel.
2: Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for the work that you do, and thank you for joining us today.
0: Hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you to you for tuning in. Check out Polly Role Models Follow Desire Resorts. And we wish you a great one, wherever you're at.
1: Have an incredible weekend.
0: You're
2: listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.